0: From the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk, fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson.
1: Welcome into Thursday, January the 12th, 2023. I'm Guy Benson. This is the Guy Benson Show. Very glad to have you on board here on the program each and every weekday between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern. Many ways to listen live, most of which are right at GuyBensonShow.com. That's also where you can find our free podcast after the show is over, if you so choose, if that's your preferred method of listening. We, of course, recommend listening live, especially in our affiliates. The website, I'll repeat one more time, GuyBensonShow.com. The Twitter and Instagram feed is at GuyBensonShow. If you're trying to track down the podcast, you've got other options as well. Foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm the political editor at townhall.com, Fox News contributor. I'll be on special report tonight, probably around 645 Eastern time for the panel with Brett Bayer here in the D.C. Bureau on set in studio. Looking forward to that. Gosh, I wonder what we might be discussing. Here's the radio lineup today. Ari Fleischer is here. Britt Hume will be here. Joe Concha as well. Really good lineup. We've got a lot to get to, including I'm going to finally wade into the gas stove controversy, which is now sort of in its third iteration over the last couple of days. I've avoided it here, but I've kept my silence too long. I will break my silence on this matter later on in the program. Fox News alert as we begin the show today. Okay, so yesterday we got the breaking news from an NBC report that there was another tranche, another trove of classified materials that had been discovered in the possession of Joe Biden at one of his residences involving material that should not have been there. And there have been quite a few developments since then. One of the questions that I asked on the air yesterday was, okay, was it just one more location? Sounds like there might have been perhaps a third one even. Where were these places? What are we talking about? And we started to get some answers today. There was a statement put out by a special counsel to the president who wrote this quote, this was from earlier today, following the discovery of government documents at the Penn Biden Center in November 2022. Let me just pause there for a second. It's not just government documents, classified documents, top secret SCI level, highly sensitive national secret documents. Found in this private office in a closet, not just in November 2022, but November 2nd, 2022, before an election. We didn't find about the find out about any of this until this week. The statement goes on. So after the discovery and coordinating closely with the Department of Justice, the president's lawyers have searched the president's Wilmington and Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, residences. The other locations where files from his vice presidential office might have been shipped in the course of the 2017 transition. The lawyers completed that review last night. During the review, the lawyers discovered among personal and political papers a small number of additional Obama-Biden administration records, with classified markings. All but one of the documents were found in a storage space in the president's Wilmington residence garage. One document consisting of one page was discovered among stored materials in an adjacent room. No documents were found in the Rehoboth Beach residence. Sure about that? He seems to spend much of his time there. So by my count, unless I'm missing this, We are up to three different discoveries in three different places. A closet in an office in Washington, D.C., a room in Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware, and the garage of that same home in Wilmington. Now, I've seen a few people pointing out that, number one, Hunter Biden apparently had claimed Residence, or perhaps some stake in that house that we're talking about in Wilmington at some point. Miranda Devine was tweeting about that. She had some documents. I've also seen people pointing out that based on various articles, and I guess there was a profile done, I believe, by Newsweek, of Biden and his family's many homes and properties. They've certainly done very well for themselves for a, command, for a family committed to, quote, unquote, public service. Like, they've got a lot of money, a lot of properties, and in one of the articles about these properties, I guess the Wilmington property has a cottage on it that has been rented out from time to time. So who knows who was near this house, around this house, who had potentially access to that garage. I'm not saying that some Russian spies rented the cottage and then broke into the garage or something like that, but the whole point of having protocols and not just like best practices but laws about how we handle classified material is to make sure that people who aren't supposed to get their eyes and hands on this type of stuff don't. I'm not an expert on every little jot and tittle of what that entails, but I know enough to know that having them in some like cardboard box in a garage is not— What the law requires. So, in this sort of benign short statement we got from the president's team earlier, we did learn more information. A document in the house, a trove of documents in the garage, in addition to the original trove, which include the top secret SCI stuff in the office, involving reportedly, among other things, Ukraine and Iran related intelligence. So that was earlier today, and then this afternoon we got an announcement from Merrick Garland, the attorney general, and I'm not surprised that this happened. It almost seemed at some point like it became inevitable. He had appointed, Garland had, a special counsel to look into President Trump on a few different fronts, one of which was his mishandling of classified materials and the whole mar a lago saga, which culminated in that FBI search that we – have talked about so much and all the documents arrayed on the floor at Mar-a-Lago taking photos. Are we going to get photos of the Biden documents all laid out in all three rooms, different places where they were discovered for dramatic effect? Can we get those maybe? So Garland had appointed the special counsel on the Trump matter. He did so in late November after, well after, he must have been aware, In fact, I think he's going to confirm here in a soundbite I'm going to play for you. He was aware by the time he made the appointment of the Trump special counsel, he knew the trouble that Biden was already in. In the same area, in the same realm, the same type of problematic misconduct. If not unlawful behavior. Which is another interesting, I would say, wrinkle to the timeline here about when people knew what and certainly when. People deigned to make the American people aware of these things. So the inevitability that I'm talking about is since Trump had the special counsel, and now that this is growing louder, the drumbeat getting stronger, then a second trove, and then a third document in yet another place, it seemed like at some point Garland was going to have no choice but to appoint another special counsel on this specifically tasked with the Biden stuff. I've been making the point in writing a townhall.com and here on the air with no special insight and no particular legal expertise at all. Just from a political standpoint, an optics standpoint and just kind of how things work. I think, especially since this is now a burgeoning Biden scandal, as we're learning more and it's gotten worse for Biden in the last 24, 48 hours, I think that a Trump prosecution or indictment related to presidential records and official documents, I think that prospect is probably dead at this point, if not on life support. And just to give some semblance of even-handedness, we got this announcement from the attorney general earlier, who came out and first laid out a bit of the timeline. So let's start with cut 28. Here's Merrick Garland just a few hours ago.
2: On November 14th, pursuant to Section 600.2B of the Special Counsel Regulations, I assigned U.S. Attorney Lausch to conduct an initial investigation to inform my decision whether to appoint a special counsel. On December 20th, President Biden's personal counsel informed Mr. Lausch that additional documents bearing classification markings were identified in the garage of the President's private residence in Wilmington, Delaware. President Biden's counsel informed Mr. Lausch that those documents were, among other records, from the period of the president's service as vice president. The FBI went to the location and secured those documents. On January 5th, 2023, Mr. Lausch briefed me on the results of his initial investigation and advised me that further investigation by a special counsel was warranted. Based on Mr. Lausch's initial investigation, I concluded that, under the special counsel regulations, It was in the public interest to appoint a special counsel.
1: And therefore, cut 29.
2: Earlier today, I I signed an order appointing Robert Herr a special counsel for the matter I've just described. The document authorizes him to investigate whether any person or entity violated the law in connection with this matter. The special counsel will not be subject to the day-to-day supervision of any official of the department, but he must comply with the regulations, procedures and policies of the department. I will ensure that Mr. Her receives all the resources he needs to conduct his work. As I have said before, I strongly believe that the normal processes of this department can handle all investigations with integrity. But under the regulations, the extraordinary circumstances here require the appointment of a special counsel for this matter. This appointment underscores for the public the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters.
1: Well, this is particularly sensitive. Here's the thing, just before I go further. In the Obama administration, you had the active sitting secretary of state grossly mishandling classified material on her private email server. She got off the hook for that. They didn't indict her. If yet, and I tweeted about this earlier, if you had to rank these three, Hillary, Trump, Biden, she was the worst, I would say, by a mile. And they didn't indict her. To me, that is an extremely relevant data point in terms of what might come next for Trump or Biden. Trump's probably next on that depth chart, but significantly beneath Hillary with his own problems and misbehavior. And then Biden was in third place, but boy, he's gaining. Right? Right. He's on a rocket ship in the wrong direction here, as we learn more. Three different discoveries. For these reasons, I really think, at least on the classified material matter, I don't think Trump's going to get prosecuted. I don't think they're going to try to indict the sitting president. I think probably the Biden headache has tied their hands. And it's beyond just a headache. The Biden misconduct slash criminality has tied their hands on Trump. So, I mean, this is something beyond Trump's control. If that's how it plays out, he's a pretty lucky guy because in some ways they had him dead to rights, but they should have had Hillary even more dead to rights and they made the choice that they made. But now that you've got Biden getting in on the act, it's like, can anyone do this properly? High-ranking government officials with access to highly sensitive material, can any of them follow the rules? The Secretary of State then... The next president and now the current president is just kind of embarrassing on top of everything else. But if they were planning to indict Trump and prosecute him on this stuff, I, I cannot imagine moving forward with that now. You never know, but Biden's now in this thing up to his knees, maybe now up to his waist. One thing I noticed, did you catch this as well in Merrick Garland's timeline that he just put out there? November 14th is when he assigned someone to conduct an initial investigation into this matter, which had been discovered. The top secret documents had been discovered in the closet in Biden's office in D.C., unsecured on November 2nd and turned over November 3rd, days before the midterm elections. November 14th, Garland put someone on the case to start investigating it. And a few days later, he announced a special counsel for Trump. So he made that Trump special counsel announcement aware of the Biden situation, and we didn't know about it back then, just like we didn't know about it before the election. I think that is a curious turn of events, sequence of events. And then we have the president's own comments about this when asked earlier today by our own Peter Ducey, who shouted a question, very succinct, very Ducey esque Biden couldn't help himself, answered the question got a little snarky in a way that I think is very unhelpful to Joe Biden, he can't help himself. And then he attempted to read from a statement that his lawyers and team had put together for him and that also did not go well. We will get to that audio when we come back. You want to hear it next on the Guy
0: Benson show. Fresh Conservative Talk. Guy Benson Show. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear Podcast, featuring common ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites, like his All-Star panel, and much more. Available now at Foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your
3: podcasts.
1: I'm Guy Benson we're back. As promised, this was earlier today. Cut 14, Peter Ducey, President Biden. Go.
4: Classified material. Next
3: year, your Corvette, what were you thinking? Let me, uh, look, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay? So it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So the but at any rate, yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified materials seriously.
1: Do we know that? Seems like there are three pieces of evidence that you don't, and counting, Mr. President. Now, he extemporized the line about the Corvette. Oh, it's in a locked garage. Not like it's sitting out on the street. That was him just riffing. What a standard that is. Just amazing that he said that. Then he tried to read what the adults in the room had prepared for him, and that didn't really go all that well. Cut 15.
3: I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. As part of that process, my lawyers reviewed other places where documents in my, uh, of, from my time as Vice President were stored, and they finished the review last night. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings in storage areas and file cabinets in my home and my, in my, my, my personal library. This was done in the case of the Biden Pen and this was done in the case of the Biden Penn Center. the Department of Justice was immediately as was done. the Department of Justice was immediately uh, uh, notified, and uh, the lawyers arranged for the Department of Justice to take possession of the document. so you're going to see we're going to see all this unfold.
1: Well said, Mr. President, as always. All right, so he's got the little sideline about the Corvette. Oh, the Corvette's locked in the garage, just like my uh, classified documents, not, quote, sitting out in the street. Then something in his head said, like, stop. Joe, stop. He said, but anyways. Then he gets to, like, the cue card and tries to read that statement, which was a bit of a jumble. What to make of all of this? This is a problem. This is a scandal. It's gotten worse today. Now there's a special counsel. That has been assigned to this. Ari Fleischer with his analysis. The White House response. What does he make of it? That's coming up next on The Guy Benson Show.
0: Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson.
1: Guy Benson with you here on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com, podcast free every day. Ari Fleischer now joins the conversation, former White House press secretary, Fox News contributor, president of Ari Fleischer Communications. And it's great to have you back. Well,
5: thanks, Guy. Good to be with you. Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year. Let's walk through what has happened over these last couple of days. Corinne Jean-Pierre is currently briefing at the White House podium. She's taking a bunch of questions about the new developments on this classified material scandal involving President Biden. There's now a special counsel that has been assigned to this publicly. That announcement coming earlier from the Attorney General Merrick Garland yesterday during the White House briefing. And it sounds like they're kind of doubling down on parts of this answer still. KJP was asked by our colleague Peter Ducey a pretty simple question. Listen to her response. I want to get your reaction to all of this. Let's start with cut one.
4: How can President Biden be trusted moving forward with America's secrets?
2: Because his lawyers, his team, did the right thing. But he
4: had a closet with he, classified his information. His lawyers did the right.
2: Again, again, again. He did. Do he the was right surprised thing that, that the records the were there. He spoke to this personally. He was surprised that the that the records were there, and when his lawyers found out and his team found out that they were there. Uh, they turned it over to their archives. And now it's being reviewed by the Department of Justice.
1: And also now by a special counsel, Ari, couple things here. Number one, if the question is, how can Biden be trusted with American secrets? And the answer is because his lawyers did the right thing when they discovered he had mishandled the secrets. I'm not sure that's a great answer. And then she said a few times how surprised the president was by this yesterday. Well, does he have the same surprised face now that. They found more documents in two other places?
5: Yeah. I mean, look, these documents were stamped secret, top secret. Whatever they were stamped, they're also stamped karma because that's what this is. This is karma for Joe Biden, for all the statements he made about Donald Trump and being irresponsible vis-a-vis getting documents down to Mar-a-Lago. And now Joe Biden's done the same thing. Now, free advice for the White House press secretary and everybody else at the White House. They shouldn't say a word about this to anybody in the press or anybody else, and they shouldn't talk about it among themselves. When a special counsel is looking, this is a criminal matter, anything you say to anybody will come back. The prosecutors are going to sit you down. They're going to say, who did you talk to? What did you say? How did you know it? Why did you say it? And so their best thing to do, which would be easy for her, is to say absolutely nothing at all.
1: But, of course, reporters are going to want to ask questions about this, and it's only snowballed since yesterday, and they were trying to kind of minimize this and put it in a box. Now there's more boxes, as it turns out, in different locations, in Wilmington, in D.C., in a garage, in another room, in a closet. And I think it's probably difficult—I mean, you've been at that podium—to have all these questions, reasonable questions, based on the president's own standards on this stuff. He went after—speaking of karma— His predecessor for mishandling uh, information. I'm not sure if he ever went after Hillary Clinton for doing something that I think was much worse than he or Trump's conduct was. But these are his standards that he applied to the last guy. I just don't know. How do you sidestep all of this stuff if you're her?
5: Well, the staff has an easy way to sidestep it, and they just have to say, I'm going to establish ground rules because this is a criminal investigation. I cannot say anything. If there is anything I will say, I will only be able to answer it to the prosecutors, those who ask me questions, and there's nothing I can publicly say, nothing. And then you can't defend the president which is what makes it so it's an uncomfortable thing if you're the White House press secretary. Um, the real person in the bind is Joe Biden himself, though, because anything he says to the press can be used against him by the special prosecutor or special counsel. Uh, but Joe Biden is the one who's going to get asked at some point, how could you have done this? Did you know you left it in your garage? Did you know you left it at the Penn Center? What was it? And then he's going to have to play mom and say nothing, and we're going to wait for information to come out, assuming that the Department of Justice does this on the straight up. and, and straight up. Uh, so th- this is a terrible pickle they have found themselves in. But, Guy, it's absolutely why you don't leave a government building with classified information. I mean, the sloppiness for Donald Trump and the sloppiness for Joe Biden in doing this, you don't do it. Now, in the case of Donald Trump, at least he could say or maintain that he declassified it all. He does have the power and the authority to do it. Now, I think he did he did it in a sloppy way, which is why questions remain. But Joe Biden has no excuse to take classified information out of a government building. None. It doesn't belong in the Penn Center. It doesn't belong in his garage in Delaware.
1: And he wasn't president when those documents originated. He had no potential ability to declassify them at the time. I think Trump's stuff went beyond sloppiness, not as much malice aforethought and corruption, frankly, as Hillary Clinton's. But Biden's sort of third on the depth chart here, as I've been describing it, but it's getting worse. And it's I think some of this stuff are problems that he's creating for himself that are deepening for him based on new things that we are learning. And you said at some point he's going to have to comment on this. Well, in fact, he did earlier today... I played the soundbite in the last segment. Peter Doocy's been very busy. He's been all over this. He shouted a question at the president, and clearly they were ready for it because I guess he was very late. Even after the two-minute warning earlier, he was something like 20 minutes late beyond that because they were scrambling to figure out what they were going to have the president say when he was asked about this. So they had a little written card for him to read from. But before he read from the card, and it was just a jumbled mess trying to read just a few sentences, we played that as well, he decided to go off script at the beginning in response to, I think, a pretty clever and somewhat provocative framing from Peter Ducey. Listen to cut 14 here, Ari.
4: Classified material. Next year, Corvette. What were you thinking?
3: Let me. Uh, look, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, People, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage, okay? So it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So in the but street anyway, yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously.
1: So he starts to read the prepared statement, but because Ducey, I think cleverly, sort of, waved that shiny object and and sort of provoked him with that word Corvette, something clicked in Biden's brain where he just had to respond to that. And he says, by the way, he cuts himself off, by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. So it's not like it's sitting out in the street. And Ducey clarifies and he says, yes, it was in a locked garage as well as my Corvette. To me, that is an even worse unforced error in talking about this And I think Peter drew it out of him.
5: 100%, Guy, because as soon as I saw that, I said, he is taking this so cavalierly. He's comparing keeping classified documents to keeping a Corvette. How many people have had their garages broken into and their cars stolen? And yet he's keeping the nation's secrets in the same place that he just cavalierly says, yeah, my Corvette's in there and the garage is locked. So he doesn't take it seriously even now. The card may tell him to word the mouth, to mouth the words, take it seriously. But he didn't in his answer to Pete Ducey. Um, look, the, the, the document the, – I used to hold classified documents every day of my life at the, in the White House. You can never leave the White House with them. It's that simple. I can never bring them home. And here you have a president or a former vice president bringing them to at least two different places. Now, how did they get there? How did they leave the office of the vice president? How did they leave the Naval Observatory? And why were they in a box marked personal? is there something about those documents involving Ukraine or involving China or somewhere else that Joe Biden thought was personal? What made it personal? Was it something in his family? Was it somebody in his family? Was it Barisma? What made Joe Biden think a classified document could be kept in a personal document? There had to be something that he wanted so badly that he said, this comes with me. He directed the staff, this comes with me. Or perhaps maybe the staff did an entire on their own, and he had no idea I mean that doesn't sound right to me, the staff is except they haven't to do said that
1: things. right if if this was done, this is the point I made as soon as the story broke. If this was all done without any of his knowledge, I know they can say, oh, he's so surprised, very, 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 very surprised, surprised yesterday, surprised today, surprised again today, all the surprises, but if he had no idea, and this was all done by staff, you'd think they would have said that already. they haven't, which I think is telling. And then also I think it's harder, if even if you want to invent or concoct that lie and sort of blame someone else and shift it over to someone else, some low-level staff made a mistake or whatever, it's harder to do that when you're finding top-secret materials stamped as such in files or boxes that are literally labeled personal, the person being Joe Biden.
5: Yeah, and and let's just simplify all of this because everybody can speculate, but there's one – you can't contradict the fact. He took classified information with him. You are not allowed to have classified information outside a government facility where it's kept safe. You're just not allowed, not at the Penn Center, not in your garage, no matter what kind of lock is on your garage. That's what he has to fundamentally wrestle with, and it's a crime. And so the question from Merrick Garland, or now the special counsel named by Merrick Garland, is what do you do about a president of the United States has already all but admitted that he committed a crime? When his lawyers put out the statement, when he said that it was inadvertently removed, inadvertently found, he's acknowledging that classified information was taken. That in itself is a crime that many people in the military have already been charged for. So the other thing he's done here, he's gotten Donald Trump a get out of jail free card. Yeah, that, that's actually I want to go prosecute. Donald I want to go Trump. there.
1: I want to get to Trump here in a second. And I just want to quickly interject. Even if to underscore your point, even if it was inadvertent, it's not allowed. I'm also not willing to just concede the point that it was inadvertent. They're saying that, of course, they would say that to try to make the best of the situation. I'm not convinced of that. Let's see more evidence. That's part of the job here. That the special counsel is going to look into. We'll get to the the juxtaposition here with Trump in a second, but just very quickly, Ari, I think it's so interesting because you were talking about the cavalier attitude. That's exactly the word that I was thinking. The cavalier attitude. Peter sort of baiting the president to comment on the Corvette, and he makes this little side snarky comment about how the Corvette's locked in a garage and it's not like it's sitting out on the street right there with my Corvette. That was what he said. On his own volition, because he couldn't help himself. Then he goes back to the script, cavalier, unserious, and literally the first scripted line that they've written for him is People know I take classified documents seriously. <laughs> and he just spent the last sentence or two kind of making a mockery of that assertion. What a mess. <laughs> what a
5: mess. And, and keep in mind, guy, the only uh, quote unquote facts people know about this are those that have been spun by Joe Biden's lawyers. None of us know if that's actually true, if the timeline is right, if it was turned over immediately. Nobody knows that. The only source is Biden lawyers who are, of course, spinning it Biden's way.
1: Yeah, they're going to try to put this in the best possible light, shading the truth if necessary, potentially, being very selective. I mean, they've got a client to protect. They've got a presidency to protect. No one would take them at their word or they shouldn't at least, certainly not in the press corps, even though the press corps tends to be on the team, so to speak. Uh, The fact that there was, and this is the other side of it, Ari, as well, and I promise we'll get to the Trump piece as well, but the timing, based on their timeline, this came to light before the election. And we didn't find out about it in the ensuing days. In fact, it took months for this to spill out into the open. I mean... That is an element of this that I think is going to tick off a lot of people, especially given the giant indignant hullabaloo that we saw over Trump and his classified materials flap. Well, there was one brewing on the other side of the aisle involving the sitting president of the United States days before the election, and American voters weren't told about it. I know some people say, oh, it wouldn't have had any impact in the election. Maybe, maybe not. They said the same thing about Hunter Biden's laptop, but the fact is some stuff gets leaked— Damaging to certain people, other stuff doesn't get leaked that could be damaging to other people. And I think some folks look at that and have some cynical thoughts, and it's hard to blame them.
5: Why now? Why did it all of a sudden come out? And keep in mind, again, the source, it was a background leak from a tr- uh, from a Biden person to the news. That's how this information came out. Biden's people are selecting who gets the story. But as you point out, Guy, if it happened in November, why did Biden's people all of a sudden get it out now? Mm-hmm. That's what was coming? what's perplexing. Right. They tried to get ahead of something. But the Justice Department is not supposed to be talking to the White House about the naming of a council. They should not know it's coming. Uh, so there's a lot we don't know. Thank goodness there's a Republican House that can hold power, truth to pa- uh, hold, uh, truth account- power accountable and ask the right questions and dig to get the truth.
1: Then you were starting to say a moment ago that you think this is a get-out-of-jail-free card for Trump. The way I've been sort of phrasing a similar sentiment is if – the Justice Department had designs of charging Trump because of classified materials and official documents. I don't see how those plans remain tenable now that not only Trump's predecessor in terms of a uh, top level person in the Obama administration, Hillary Clinton, and what she did now sandwiched at the other end of it is the current sitting president. It seems like that bucket, those two buckets of malfeasance bookending what Trump did at least to my mind, kills the opportunity for a prosecution here, if that's what they were trying to do. It sounds like you probably agree.
5: I agree 100 percent, unless justice really just decides that they're going to go after Trump for obstruction of justice, if that's what they believe took place Mm -hmm. with the Mar-a-Lago documents. But the underlying case of having uh, uh, illegally obtained classified information, they'd have to just ignore it. They'd have to wipe it under the rug, because then what do they do about Biden? Look, I already said in regard to Trump that the Justice Department got its documents back, and they should just call it a day. I said that a couple months ago, that at this point there's no point in trying to prosecute a former president. And – Now that they have to make a decision about a sitting president, and if they did go after Joe Biden, we're stuck with Kamala Harris, the best outcome here is for both Trump and Biden. The Justice Department gets its documents back. Just to move on. They call it a day. But it still is a blatant contradiction and hypocrisy for anybody in the military. Oh, for sure. And
1: by the way, if if they were really worried about obstructing justice, Hillary Clinton destroyed a bunch of evidence and they didn't charge her. And it's not whataboutism, as I always say, it's aboutism. We're up on a break. We've got to take it. Ari Fleischer, our guest. Ari, appreciate it. Thank you. Great to be with you, Guy. Thank you. Stepping aside, coming right back on The Guy Benson Show.
0: The Guy Benson Show. More next.
1: We continue on The Guy Benson Show. Stocks are up today, surging a bit. We'll get you the final number when the markets close coming up in the next hour. But markets reacting to U.S. inflation slowing for a sixth straight month in December. So CPI ticked down to 6.5% last month, still stubbornly high, but coming down, although core CPI ticked up a little bit. Some economists still worry that consumers might remain flush with cash and eager to spend money, then keep raising prices on the corporate side to compensate for this so it could be a long fight we saw some experts saying it could be years until we get back down to the Fed's 2% target and of course within the CPI report some elements are better like energy food still very expensive eggs the price of eggs have just been crazy tripled in some states over the last year so some good progress the question is what about the core CPI ticking up what about food prices what about wages And then what's the hangover going to be like vis-a-vis a possible recession? That's really the biggest question. Another hour coming up on The Guy Benson Show. Britt Hume joins us next. Straight ahead, Guy Benson Show.
0: Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show.
1: A brand new hour on the Guy Benson Show is here. Thank you very much for being with us. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Podcast is free every day on demand when the show is over. Follow us on social, Twitter and Instagram, at Guy Benson Show. And catch me tonight on the panel. I'll be on Special Report with Brett Bayer toward the end of the 6 p.m. hour Eastern time. GuyBensonShow.com, again, our website here. All the content that you might want related to our program is there every day. Fox News alert as we get going here in our middle hour. The Dow closing up 216 points. We talked about some of the inflation data right before the break. Dow closing the day at 34,189. Market update sponsored by Americans for Prosperity, our friends and partners over there, committed to empowering each American to realize his or her American dream by being champions of policies that expand freedom and opportunity for more, join them, join us, americansforprosperity.org. With us now is Britt Hume, senior political analyst here at Fox News. Britt, it is great to talk to you for the first time in 2023. Welcome back.
6: Thank you, sir. Glad to be back.
1: I want to play for you a soundbite. This just went down at the White House in the briefing room. Corrine Jean-Pierre still taking questions from reporters about overwhelmingly this uh, document scandal that seems to be uh, blowing up to some extent in Joe Biden's face. Ed O'Keefe from CBS News was pressing Jean-Pierre about the president's commitment and this White House's commitment, at least nominally, to unprecedented transparency and not being like the last administration, and how has some of this secrecy really aligned with those stated values and goals? Here's that back and forth in Cut 30.
2: And so I'm not going to go beyond what the president said and I'm not going to go beyond what the the lawyers say. I have to go around. You've asked me about you've asked asked me and there's
1: going to be a limit in transparency, public, non-legal transparency and what can be shared and said by this way. I disagree. There has
2: I disagree. And there has not been a limit of transparency that is that is that is there has not been a limit of transparency that I will I will disagree with you on that. Justin,
3: Justin, thanks.
1: There has not been a limit, she says, of transparency except, Britt, this was discovered, at least the first trove of secret documents, including top-secret information, discovered where it ought not to have been November the 2nd. And we found out about it on, what, January 10th?
6: Right. And, and we also think that these uh, the second uh, batch of documents that was discovered in the garage was that they knew about that for a couple of days before they let us know. So yep. transparency has not been the order of the day here for sure. And, of course, in the course of her own discourse here today, I watched some of that briefing. It was painful to watch. Um woman is plainly way out of her depth. But who could look good on a day like this after what the White House has got itself into, um, what the president has gotten himself into? Uh, But nonetheless, she continues to to refer everybody to the Justice Department and to the White House counsel's office and and to say she can't say any more than this and she can't say any more than that and so on and on it goes. So, no, transparency is not what's happening here.
1: No. And that briefing, by the way, just ended. She took her – binder filled with with answers and, and walked out of the room. So she took a lot of questions, didn't really answer very much in terms of substance. One thing that we heard a lot yesterday, and then they keep saying today, Britt, is that the president was just very surprised that this material was in that closet in his office. And so he was terribly surprised yesterday, or I guess would have been November 2nd, November 3rd when this really first happened. Was he then equally surprised when there was more classified material in his house and then more classified material in his garage? I mean, how many times was this guy surprised that there was classified material floating around, some of which was in, like, a a box or a file marked personal, meaning it was his? Well,
6: yeah, that that raises the question, of course. Let's assume for the sake of argument that that he didn't know about these documents. Well, that that raises the question is how did they get – classified documents out of the White House and into his quarters in two separate locations if he right. didn't have to do with it and didn't know about it. And, of course, it doesn't help this president, who is seen as not being uh, fully on top of things a lot of the time anyway, to to find one more thing that he doesn't seem to know anything about that's happening right under his nose.
1: Assuming he didn't have something to do with it himself, which is not an assumption I'm willing to make yet because I just keep saying if the president— is kind of a victim here of staff incompetence and malfeasance of others, and it's reflecting poorly on him, even though he's totally innocent, Uh, you would think you might hear a more aggressive defense along those lines of him by the people surrounding him, and yet they haven't said that. And I think that that could be, by omission, somewhat revealing at the very least. I've played this clip a few times today, Britt. I want to get your reaction to it. I think our colleague... Peter Ducey was very clever in the way that he sort of baited the president earlier today by asking the question about the documents found in the garage, saying, really, you know, the documents next to your Corvette, what were you thinking? This was what the question sounded like. And then Biden took the bait. He was about to go to the prepared statement, but he took the bait, cut 14.
4: Classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking?
3: Let me, uh, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon, but as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage, okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street, the but anyway, street yes, as well as my Corvette, um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously.
1: Well, I think that's very much up for debate, given what we're learning, Britt, but Peter just embedded that word Corvette into the question and Biden couldn't resist responding and saying, well, it was a lock garage. It wasn't out on the street. That is not even close to the legal standard here and probably something that made a lawyer somewhere representing Biden punch a wall that he said that.
4: Yeah, he
6: also it also carries the echoes of what Biden said in an interview with 60 Minutes about Trump. And his handling of classified documents mishandling mm-hmm. of classified documents, the ones found at Mar-a-Lago, because you know he says, "How could this have even happened?" Remember that. So yep. what's happened? And of course, underlying all this uh, uh, guy is this fact: anybody who's had Biden's experience, or even less, far less, knows that classification markings are wildly overused in government. So the chances are that anything very serious or secret has been disclosed somehow through all this either by trump or by biden anyone that knows that that's highly unlikely but having gone to def con one with hair on fire about the mar-a-lago situation this administration and this president have to be Go out of their way to say how seriously they take classified information because they've already been saying that about Trump. So now they're stuck with it. So he has to. He says it over and over again. Corinne Jean Pierre says it over and over again. The president takes classified classification very seriously. Well, maybe he shouldn't. And the, and I'm not der- terribly worried about state secrets being lost here. But the hypocrisy of this and the fact that they've painted themselves into a corner is, I you know is is what catches the eye here and is, and it's on some level, almost funny.
1: Yeah, I mean, although it's, you know, you've know you got different levels of classification, confidential, secret, top-secret SCI, at least some of this stuff was top-secret and SCI. And we've heard little dribs and drabs about maybe Iran, maybe Ukraine. Whatever it was, he wasn't allowed to have it. They were up on their high horse about this. And that's the thing. It seems like the high horse stuff, they're, it's hard to keep track. Because with Hillary Clinton, it was just a big punchline, but her emails not that big of a deal. I keep saying I thought her conduct was far and away worse than Trump's or Biden's, and they kind of all collectively decided that that wasn't that important and had to dismiss it for political reasons. Then they're just beside themselves over Trump, as they are always for reasons fair and unfair, and now it's like, okay, recalibrating again, it kind of gets exhausting. To watch people try to, with a straight face, maintain credibility on some of this stuff when they're just they have these wild fluctuations in what they say and what their posture is. And it, it's hard for them, I think, to reconcile. You're also seeing, Britt, some people on the left not defending Biden here, maybe because they're not thrilled with the idea that appears or at least it appears now that he's full speed ahead toward a re-election campaign There are people on the left, some of them don't want that to happen. This could be a convenient reason for some people to say, uh, do we really want even more baggage? This is not painting him in a great light. I just wonder, it's been kind of a rocky start to the new year for a president who seemed to have rebounded a bit with the midterm elections. Uh, The last week or so have not been super kind to him, I would say.
6: I would say about the midterm election and the current situation is the midterm election was like a time bomb. It didn't go off because all the ingredients and all explosives were there in the form of the issues on which Biden was in trouble and his party was in trouble. You know, inflation, the Afghanistan fiasco, the lawlessness, the border, the lawlessness in our city streets, the list goes on. And yet, you know, they they only got a mild rebuke in the election and finished way ahead of where many people thought they would. But all those ingredients are still there, and now you see that the the overall, you know, one of the underlying problems with this is that Biden screws things up, as as President Obama famously noted, and here we go again. This is, you know, the ex-Vice President who doesn't have the power to declassify documents is caught with batches of them in his private quarters, um, in two different places, including <laughs> including his garage. Um, the story is kind of eye-catching and and. you know, simple and easy to understand and it's the kind of it's the kind of little little problem that that ends up looming very big in political terms.
1: Especially on the heels of the whole Mar-a-Lago thing with everyone in high dudgeon about that. I mean it's like, you know, here we go. Welcome to twenty twenty three in American politics. Britt Hume, our guest. Britt, appreciate it. My pleasure. We'll step aside, be right back. Guy Benson show. I'm Guy Benson. Welcome back. President Biden was talking about subjects beyond just his classified documents problem. He was promising to veto various Republican efforts. This was earlier today. We got a little creepy grandpa whisper in there as well. Enjoy Cut 27.
3: Come on. Is this how House Republicans are starting a new term? Cutting taxes for billionaires? Raising taxes for working families? Making inflation worse? Well, let me be very clear. If any of these bills make it to my desk, I will veto them. I will flat veto them. I'm ready to work with the Republicans, not this kind of stuff.
1: Okay, so he's, of course, distorting what the Republicans are doing. They're not trying to cut taxes for billionaires while raising taxes on working-class Americans. They're not trying to make inflation worse. Biden and the Democrats have done that all by themselves with their Inflation Reduction Act, and especially the so-called American Rescue Plan. What he's mad about is that the Republicans in the House correctly, in my view, voted to repeal and rescind the funding to double the size of the IRS, something that we addressed earlier in the week, and I wrote about it at townhall.com. They're adding 87,000 new IRS employees. The Democrats, on a party-line vote, zero Republicans, they injected $80 billion more dollars into the IRS in the Inflation Reduction Act, quote-unquote. Far more than even top former IRS lefty bureaucrats said they needed, like not even close. They blew the doors off of all expectations to make the IRS cash flush to come after you. Republicans don't want that. They feel like a more empowered IRS is not what the country needs. They're probably still annoyed by the targeting scandal that the IRS engaged in and then lied about. I know that was almost a decade ago, but some of us actually have memories. I think that finally blew up. What was it, 2011, 2013? And there was a lot of misleading about that. Oh, no, you're crazy. You're off your rockers. Oh, whoops, actually, yes, it did happen. Sorry, here's some restitution. And then they went back, a lot of people on the left, saying, oh, no, that actually never happened. That wasn't really a scandal. That was made up by conservatives. We'll have another example of that, by the way, coming up later this hour, where they just deny things. Like, oh, no, that didn't happen. The thing that you remember very well that occurred, was uncovered, was apologized for, and there were payouts— As restitution, that was all just in your imagination. Stop lying. That's how it went, the trajectory of the IRS scandal roughly a decade ago. Now that agency, which of course is the tax collection agency in this country, they're going to double in size. Republicans say, we don't want that. We don't want to fund all these new agents and personnel. We want to take that money back. And Biden is raging against it. Every House Democrat voted against the Republican plan. They voted in favor of doubling the IRS again, doubling down on that. They are stalwart allies of the Internal Revenue Service, and they're peas in a pod. The tax and spend party is going to want the tax collectors out there doing their job to squeeze everyone so they can take more of that money and spend more of it. That's what they all do. We need some tax collection in this country, obviously. I don't think we need the IRS getting doubled. With 80 billion new dollars, Republicans said, let's claw back that money. All the Democrats said no. And Joe Biden saying, if this gets to my desk, I'll do it or whatever the whisper. I don't know why he does that. It's weird. It's like he's coming right in next to you to sniff your hair. Then whispers sweet nothings in your ear about how much he loves the IRS. That's the message there. And in case you missed my monologue earlier in the week, I'll just remind you and you can go. Examine my piece at townhall.com where I have the receipts and the links. There's the Syracuse University study that shows that in 2022, the IRS disproportionately targeted the bulk of the audits. In fact, we're targeting lower income and in many cases, the poorest Americans. It's not just millionaires, billionaires and businesses. It's middle class, working class and even indigent people. That the IRS comes after often the types of people who can't defend themselves and don't have fancy lawyers and accountants. That's the reality of IRS enforcement over and over again. Democrats had their opportunity to write into their bill and their new law and the doubling of the IRS provision that this new expansion of the IRS would not be weaponized against people making less than four hundred thousand dollars Every Senate Democrat voted no on that provision because they actually know deep down it's the cushions of less wealthy people that they're going to be vacuuming through to find extra cash. That's how they do their enforcement, and now there'll be a lot more of them to do it with a lot more money and power and resources to do so. And somehow, Joe Biden is twisting this into Republicans taking the side of the rich and him defending the little guy. It is exactly the opposite. It is Joe Biden and the Democratic Party plus their friendly allied bureaucrats at the Internal Revenue Service against the rest of us. That's the actual power dynamic here. So he can whisper all he wants. He can change and try to flip the actual reality on its head. I want to keep reality right side up and tell you the truth. We try to do that every day on the Guy Benson Show. And with that being said, we're going to finally dip our toe, maybe even take a plunge, into the gas stove wars. I was reluctant to talk about it, but it's a thing and i'm getting angrier and angrier about it based on what people are saying and now they're trying to like lie about what they said let's review that record together as soon as we come back
0: you're listening to a new generation of talk guy benson
1: i'm guy benson Welcome back. So have you tuned in at all to this gas stove ban story? I heard a few rumblings of it the other day. I was trying to ignore it. It's like, wait, the Biden administration is trying to ban gas stoves for some reason? Like a gas range? What? What now? That was basically my reaction. So I saw enough of it trending over the last couple days that I decided to read up on it a little bit, the Wall Street Journal editorial board explained the Consumer Product Safety Commission could soon ban gas stoves. Commissioner Richard Trumka Jr., this is, I believe, the kid of the union boss who passed away, teased in an interview with Bloomberg News this week that the agency plans to propose new regulations for gas stoves, which could include a ban. Quote, this is a hidden hazard, Trumka said. Any option is on the table. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. Now, the journal editors point out that there's, quote, scant evidence to support this long list in the indictment against gas stoves. Like, oh, it it hurts people, it's dangerous to their health. They point out that studies flogged by the climate left don't account for the effects of ventilation, which is actually a key part of good kitchen work using the old hood, right, ventilation. In fact, one of the studies that they're using to justify this out-of-nowhere crusade against gas stoves, like no one had ever heard of a problem, and then overnight, it's just a huge thing. And one of the studies that they're citing for it sealed a test kitchen in plastic tarps in an effort to show that gas stoves increase pollution indoors and therefore can be harmful. So like, oh, well, maybe without these plastic tarps sealing this room, we might not get the results that we want. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's seal this place up, no ventilation, and then do some tests and we can reveal how dangerous this is. It's crazy. Mr. Trumka, the editor is right, wants to use indoor pollution as a pretext to advance the climate left goal of forcing all buildings to use electricity for everything. Now, there was an outcry on this, so Trumpka kind of started to back off a little bit. He said, to be clear, the board, so he's some commissioner on this thing, our board isn't coming for anyone's gas stoves. Regulations would apply to new products. So as my friend Mary Catherine Ham quipped, inevitably, if you like your stove, you can keep it. Right? That's what they're saying. They're not going to come into your house Bust down the door with a jackboot and then uproot your kitchen appliances and march them away. But in future buildings and projects and that sort of thing, gas stoves would be banned. So don't you worry. You're grandfathered in. That's kind of the reassurance that he offered. Now, because this has gotten even more bad publicity, Joe Manchin was out there condemning it. Now the leader of this board is saying, oh, no, no, we're not... uh, This isn't something that we're planning on. So maybe they're backing off of it at the federal level for now. I'm not necessarily convinced of that. We should keep an eye on it. But I bet you some states might go for it. Because the craziest states sometimes seem to do the dumbest things. Like if there's a brand new hotness on the left, especially if conservatives hate it, they're like, well, now we must do it. And if there's one place that enthusiastically embraces stupid policy as quickly as possible in a reactionary, knee jerk way, my money is on California. Although a congresswoman from New York has been very agitated about this, very supportive of the gas stove ban push that just started apparently a few days ago. AOC, all over this. She's on the front lines. She tweets, she had a whole bunch of tweets about this this week. Did you know that ongoing exposure to gases from gas stoves is linked to reduced cognitive performance? Oh, is it? By the way, I'll give you one guess who uses a gas stove. Based on her many, many, many Instagram Live feeds out to the public. There are some screen captures inside, yes, yes. AOC's home, her apartment, she uses a gas stove. Is she personally attesting to the reduced cognitive performance based on that stove? Just the lack of self-awareness is beautiful. Like, as soon as she came out guns blazing, based on, like, half-baked nonsense, trendy quote-unquote science... Like, all for a ban on gas stoves, it was basically unavoidable that an image would emerge of AOC's own gas stove. It had to happen, it had to exist, and so it did. And now that's plastered all over social media. But beyond that particular, whether you want to call it hypocrisy, self-unawareness, what have you, I find the whole thing really actually quite creepy, and others do too. Someone that I keep track of on Twitter goes by Sonny Wright. He said the far left decided about 12 hours ago that gas stoves are bad, actually. And now they're retconning so that it's long been obvious that gas stoves are bad. Right. Like there was a new capital T truth based on new capital S science. You don't have to think too hard about it. You don't have to look at the studies that much. Like, look at some abstract summary from one study somewhere, and then just let the activism begin. Let's start banning stuff. Because these people get bored. They want to control other people's lives. They're obsessed with regulation, and micromanaging other people. They love wielding power over others. And here's a new project for them. So something no one has ever heard about, All of a sudden is this big national debate because the left just decided, hey, let's go do this thing. Charles Cook at National Review, a regular guest here, writes, this is one of the creepiest parts of modern progressivism. AOC had never tweeted about stoves before yesterday, and he went back and he searched. He did a search of her tweets with keywords. She had never tweeted about stoves before yesterday. But when she did for the first time, her tone was one of weary condescension toward the bitter enders whom she's been trying to inform for years. So well said. He writes, it's cultish. It is. Like you go from no opinion on gas stoves ever. In fact, you have one. So maybe that is kind of an opinion. She uses it. She cooks on it. Then she decides that the good quote unquote science is to ban them And the bad people disagree, so all of a sudden she's an expert. And just sort of a harried, jaded expert who's just so over having to explain this this issue to these benighted fools around the country who don't just get it. They don't see the light and the truth that she has just been enlightened with within the last 24 hours or whatever. Noah Rothman at Commentary has a piece out about this called The Attack on Things That Work. He says all this psychological manipulation is necessary to overcome the foremost obstacle before the busybodies who have gone to war with so many modern conveniences. They work better than their alternatives. He says the loss of cooking techniques may not disturb those for whom fine dining is one restaurant reservation away, those with sufficient means who reside in locales with access to that level of finery. That leads us to perhaps the most important distinction between electric and gas overlooked by America's busybodies, which is gas is cheaper. In most U.S. states, natural gas appliances cost between 10 and 30% less to operate on a regular basis than electric alternatives. So there's a lot of families watching their bottom lines in their budgets, especially in an age of inflation, fueled by these same people, by the way. But they live in these big cities. They're fancy, elite ruling class people, so they can go have their nice dinners whenever they want. It doesn't really bother them that someone might need to save money or would want to cook on a gas range for whatever reason. This is just a new little, like, religious crusade that they've all stampeded off to together, out of nowhere. It's like, almost literally overnight, it becomes a thing. It's creepy. It is very creepy. And maybe the blowback has... Held this off for now at the federal level, but as I said, I think maybe New York AOC's, you know, making that case, making her bid for this type of action in the Empire State, but I would still bet on California. This seems tailor made for their stupidity. And by the way, out in Sacramento, Senator Scott Weiner, a Democrat from the Golden State, he has just started marching in line with the tribe already. Gas stoves are toxic to people's health they cause asthma in children, cardiac problems and other disease, they need to be phased out. So there you go. This isn't some random guy. He was one of the major forces who famously and successfully pushed for California to lower criminal penalties for knowingly exposing other people with HIV without their knowledge or consent. He said that was too stigmatizing of HIV. So it was a felony To give an incurable disease, and if not treated properly now, a fatal disease, there's been a lot of progress, thank God, you could expose other people to that without their knowledge, doing it knowingly, intentionally on your part. That used to be a felony. This guy went and fought for progress and equity and made it less criminal like brought down the criminal penalties, no longer a felony. That's the type of leadership and vision this guy has for California, and he's already on the bandwagon. Now let's ban some gas stoves. You think maybe we could focus on, oh, I don't know, making our FAA systems not completely antiquated where they don't crash out of nowhere on a random Wednesday morning? Or pick a problem. The border crisis, the inflation mess, you can name a bunch of them. Don't we have bigger problems on our plate as a country than this? But that's really not the point. They want control. They don't care about the facts. For example, electric stoves have a much higher fire hazard. You think we should weigh that against whatever risk they claim exists with gas stoves. They don't care about that. It's almost like a mistake to present the counterpoints and factual information, balancing acts, trade offs. They don't care about that. It's not about that. It's about power and control in service of an ideological agenda. Whether it actually really helps the agenda or not, they just sort of, like the hive mind, they decide this is the new thing, and they try to do it. And sometimes you just have to say, not just no, but hell no. And as a proud owner of a gas stove, let me be near the front of the line saying, hell no on this. Ridiculous. And for something that I didn't really feel like I cared much about, I'm really warming to the task here. In fact, I'm not done. I've got more to say because now we've moved to the gas lighting stage, or the gas stove lighting stage, you might call it. I'll address that as soon as we come back. It's The Guy Benson Show. Stay with us.
0: The Guy Benson Show. More next.
1: Back on The Guy Benson Show. Still fired up. Still cooking with gas on this issue of gas stoves and the proposed potential ban thereof. And there was such a furious pushback to this idea, which was floated in a public interview by a Democratic appointee bureaucrat who's on an influential board for consumer protection. This didn't come out of nowhere. It felt like it came out of nowhere. It's like, wait, what do you mean we're talking about Banning gas stoves. Where the hell did this come from? Well, it came from somewhere, and it wasn't the imagination of conservatives or right-wingers. This was telegraphed or floated as a trial balloon by a public official, a Democrat. And then, by the way, it was quickly endorsed and vigorously defended by a number of Democratic elected officials. From the state senator in California that I mentioned, who is championing this, to Congressman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her massive social media following. We've seen some efforts akin to this in states like California and New York. Then there's this headline from the New York Post, Governor Hochul quietly sneaks in proposal to ban sale of gas stoves, fueling outrage across New York. We're just noticing, this is a common theme in our current era of politics where leftists or progressives say something or do something. And then conservatives notice. Conservatives commit the crime of noticing and talking about it and objecting to it. And then the next stage of the process is for these people to tell us, oh, no, this is just a culture war crazy thing dreamed up by these weird right wingers. And that's exactly what we saw. Washington Post has this headline, GOP thrusts gas stoves into the culture wars. What? I've heard of GOP pounces, Republicans seize. Now we've got Republicans thrust. Might want to be careful with that one. GOP thrusts. It's a new one. There was no thrusting by the Republicans on this. This was Richard Trumpka Jr.'s thrust that we just noticed. Axios headline, Despite official insistence that fears of a ban are unfounded, conservatives are suddenly championing gas stoves in a new culture war. That's the buzzword, culture war. Despite official insistence, they were the ones who floated the idea and said they were looking at it, and they should ban things that are dangerous. And you've got Democrats in positions of power saying, yes, let's do it. And some people saying, in fact, This is long overdue, and it's for the children. We're going to kill children if we don't do this. That's how they always justify almost everything, except for actual killing of children with abortion, which they fully support. Obviously, I'm getting annoyed here. Like, they put this idea out into the universe. We see it and don't like it, start talking about it. Clearly, it's not going to play well with an awful lot of people. And then they're like, oh, well, this guy came out and said, well, actually, on second thought, we're not going to do it at this time Through this method, even though other states might go after it, other people pursuing it, they're like, oh, no, well, this is now case closed. Why are these strange, strange people still talking about this weirdness? Washington Post did the same thing in a fact check. That term culture war all over the place like conservatives are the aggressors. And this is what they do. It's like they will say X is not happening, but also X is good. Right, CRT, that's not being taught in schools, but if it is, that's important progress. Oh, gender identity isn't being indoctrinated to first graders, but it's bigotry to make sure that isn't being taught in schools. No one's talking about banning gas stoves. Well, except for all of these Democratic officials, and good for them, totally incoherent, gaslighting appropriately is the word here. No, I am absolutely not playing this game. You brought it up. Some of your people like it and are advocating for it. And if that's what they want, they should own it. Don't pretend we're the crazy ones. They're the crazy ones. This was not my invention. This is not sliding into my social media feeds because conservatives came up with something brand new. It's reactive to things that you guys want to do on the left, which is very much of a piece with other things that you guys always want to do which is regulate the hell out of everything and control people's lives. It is both your idea and very on-brand. Excuse us for noticing and objecting. We will continue to do so until this idea is dead everywhere, which it's not, by the way. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show is on its way. We will change topics at last. With Joe Concha, he's up next. Stay with us. It's the Happy Hour on this Thursday. It's the Guy Benson Show from D.C., our headquarters, the Tony Snow Studios at Fox News Bureau here in the nation's capital. I'm Guy Benson. Glad to have you here. 3 to 6 Eastern every weekday this last hour is the Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is terrific. The people in Finland love it, and the people in America are loving it more and more. TheLongDrink.com, their website. You can find out where it's sold near you. Always drink responsibly, 21-plus only. TheLongDrink.com. I'm also a fan. Our website here, available to people of all ages, 21 plus, 21 under, GuyBensonShow.com. Lots of content there, extra goodies, including the free podcast every day on demand when the show is over. GuyBensonShow.com. FoxNewsPodcast.com, another option there for the podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us, social media, at Guy Benson Show. On Twitter and Instagram, we sometimes post clips, for example, of my TV appearances. I have another one coming up tonight, special report. I'm on the panel, on set, Brett Bayer and the team. I think Molly Hemingway's on the panel with me tonight. So looking forward to that. Hope you'll tune in at the end of the 6 p.m. hour. So coming up in the next hour, that's on Fox News Channel. With us now, Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, columnist at The Hill, author of the book, Come On, Man?, the Truth About Joe Biden's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Presidency. And, Joe, I feel like you might need a new chapter after this week. <laughs>
4: I did sign a new book deal, so I'm happy to uh, to announce that. And uh, that one's called Not Your Daddy's Donkeys. And it's all about how the Democratic Party has gone from whatever it was under John F. Kennedy and Jimmy Carter and even Bill Clinton to whatever we're seeing today. But to my first book with, with, with Joe Biden, as far as Come On, Man, all of what we're seeing now, Guy, as far as these classified documents, And the reflex just to either lie or pretend that it's really no big deal when the president's own words just a couple of years ago said that no one should be president if they handle classified documents in this manner. And now here we are, a second batch found, as you've been talking about, and I bet pretty good money the Devils are going to make the playoffs this year quite easily, and we'll find probably a third batch somewhere.
1: Well, I think you could make the argument, number one, that yes, the Devils are in good position to make the playoffs. So far, so good. Last couple wins have been nice. Secondly, I think if you parse it out, we already have had three discoveries because there was the one in the closet there at his office. There was the one in the garage at his house. And then another room contained additional classified material. So I think we're up to maybe three in counting here, Joe, already from a media perspective, Just preparing for the show today, I had all the networks on the split screen here in our studio. And on multiple occasions, I saw some of our competitors putting up these full-screen graphics with bullet points. This has been their go-to all week on this since the story broke, comparing and contrasting what Biden has done versus what Trump did, which is obviously much, much worse. Now, here's the thing. I happen to think that, at least based on what we know so far— Trump was worse, but the Biden rap sheet keeps growing. They have to keep sort of changing their talking points in defense of Biden, which, by the way, isn't journalism. It's activism, rapid response, you know, Democratic talking points. And a lot of these people are the exact same folks who were extremely dismissive of the Hillary Clinton email scandal with classified material, which I think of those three, Trump, Biden, Hillary, I think hers was the worst by a long shot. So these people playing these games, I think, in many cases, have absolutely no credibility left.
4: Zero, guy, zero. And all the American people want is consistency, right? So – Hillary Clinton, as you mentioned, those classified documents were in a bathroom closet, private residence, not locked away as far as we know, right? So that that was bad, and then we had Jim Comey basically give her a free pass. He was FBI director at the time. Uh, And by the way, it
1: was was a server that for a while was in a bathroom. I think the reason why Hillary's – people might wonder why am I saying hers was the worst of the three, to me it's not even close because it was a bootleg, not allowed email server – That Bob Gates, the former defense secretary, said he believes was almost certainly penetrated by America's enemies. Because having something locked in a closet or a garage, there would be sort of extra physical espionage that would be required for our adversaries to go get that information. If you put it in a server that's connected to the Internet and it's wildly undersecured, our enemies have all that stuff. Then, of course, she deleted evidence and lied endlessly about all of it, then the entire project was thought up in advance to avoid political transparency and accountability. That's malice aforethought. I think hers, on the scale of this, was by far the worst. And these are a lot of the same people in the press who have been doing the whole eye-rolling, but her emails thing for years now. That's
4: true and 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 that was the old bleach bit uh situation, right? And, right, and the tens of thousands of emails that were uh deleted uh so yeah you're right that she probably is the worst, and then you have donald trump and 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 you have the raid, and look, this is pretty easy to do, all right. Hillary Clinton was wrong. Donald Trump was wrong. Joe Biden was wrong. If you are a former government official, a former president, vice president, secretary of state, you don't get to take these things home with you and then leave them, as you said, for America's adversaries to possibly hack into or to steal. So it's if we could just have some more people in the world like you and me, and I don't mean to pat ourselves in the back here, but just to say, look, All of them are wrong. And no, Donald Trump can't declassify documents by thinking about it. That's not how it works. And and just like with Biden just being so dismissive today, saying, well, you know, those documents that were next to my Corvette, the garage was locked. Just enough already. There should be outrage from the New York Times and the Washington Post, those editorial boards, the same ones that were up on soapboxes screaming about Trump. We should see the same with Biden, but we know how this is going to play out, the same way it was with Hillary. Oh, but Joe Biden's classified documents, whatever. it's just, you're right, no credibility whatsoever. I even saw in The View today, which is an ABC News program, all right, that's watched by 2.4 million people, number one in its time slot, say that Republicans probably planted those documents in Biden's garage and at the Biden-Penn Center. I mean, you can't make this
1: stuff up. Well, God. and there's also, there's also a Democrat in Congress, Hank Johnson of Georgia, who's suggesting this might have been planted by Republicans as well. I mean, that's an actual member of Congress. The view is the view, right? You've got some people who are deeply underinformed, not terribly bright. It's basically a daily televised insane asylum over there. So if you're going to have crazy conspiracy theories, I'm not surprised that they're getting—I'm guessing it was Joy Behar?
4: Uh, It was Sonny, Yep, and Joy Behar with a a nod by Woody and and whoever the conservative was on there, not even remotely pushing back on it. Okay, so so,
1: I mean, none of that is surprising. That's what they do there every single day— But it's amazing the pretzels people will contort themselves into in order to try to ride this weird fence of double standards because they are absolute hacks. And we're seeing a lot of that playing out right now all across the place on this particular story. And to some extent, I'm getting nourishment from it, like some weird sort of moral sustenance because I know that I've been consistent on this and watching other people have to go through these – weird calisthenics, it's like, all right, I mean, good luck. You look very, very ridiculous. And I think a lot of normal people who are trying to look at these things objectively can tell. Meanwhile, Joe Concha, I don't know, did you see this story in The Times a couple days ago? Headline, Can Ron DeSantis Avoid Meeting the Press? Whole story about the governor of Florida and how his team basically treats much of the mainstream media as... Opponents, Right. And I think generally that's right. I think most of the mainstream media over and over again proves itself to be hostile to Republicans. They are Democrats. They act as operatives. Some of them are much better than others. They do write negative stories and do some investigations into Democrats. It's not just completely one sided. But as a whole, the news media is filled with Democratic voters who deliberately or subconsciously try to help their tribe and their party at virtually every turn. So the DeSantis people have internalized this lesson, and they don't put out a bunch of mean tweets necessarily, although he's got a great press person who really goes after the press very hard. He doesn't really do that. He kind of just ignores them. If he's at a press conference and there's people asking questions, he'll go back and forth. He'll anticipate their attacks and their questions, and he'll come back at them. But for the most part, he just treats them, DeSantis himself, treats them like they don't exist. It's like, okay, if you guys are part of the attack machine of the other party, you're an appendage of my opposition, I'm just going to pretend like you are not a legitimate media universe to deal with, and I'm just going to put you out of sight, out of mind, unless you're literally right in front of me at a press conference. And the press is very concerned about this, Joe. They are wringing their hands. We've seen multiple pieces about this. Lots of tweets. Uh, they're just they're just completely uh, circumventing this whole process. And can DeSantis really win this way? And they actually have a photograph. This is amazing. Accompanying this story in the New York Times of a handsome young man with his hands in his pockets, looking a little bit uh, concerned, if not indignant, on a cold autumn day. It looks like he's in New York City. And the caption says... Assigned to cover the re-election campaign of Mr. DeSantis, Miles Cohen, a young ABC News producer, found himself stymied. So here's one of DeSantis' victims, an ABC News employee, who's now posing for photo shoots about his victimization at the hands of Ron DeSantis for just not giving him the time of day. I, I mean, I don't know what could be more of an in-kind contribution to Ron DeSantis' potential 2024 campaign than this kind of pathetic Self-important whining from the Times
4: on the AB, and on behalf of ABC News, a competitor in essence, right? And look, I, I must have missed something. Did Did Ron DeSantis announce he's running for president? Because he hasn't. So this ABC News reporter sent to cover the re-election campaign of Ron DeSantis is he doing? I'm sorry. I must have missed something there. But the bigger point here is that Ron DeSantis is 100 percent right in avoiding these news outlets because they have broken their trust with him, with his campaign, his gubernatorial campaign. We saw it last year, and I think it was one of the biggest media – malfeasance that we've seen in some time where they passed the parental rights and education bill in Florida which says you can't teach and I have a first grader and a third grader you can't teach my first and third grader about sexual orientation and gender identification that is not up for teachers to do and certainly not the kids that young and everybody from ABC News NBC News NPR CNN all called it the don't say gay bill despite the fact the word gay didn't appear in it once so you know what between that and the vaccine Distribution that happened in Florida. You remember, DeSantis tapped Publix, which is like Starbucks New York. There's one about every two miles in Florida. You can't get, can't get, uh, buy it, uh, can't, can't, can't avoid it. To get the vaccine out to people as quickly as possible, 60 Minutes, who's supposed to be the objective, good investigative reporters, actually did a hit job on DeSantis and tried to make it look like he was somehow profiting from the whole thing, which was 100% not true. So, time again, whether it's local press in Florida, national press, uh, it, it does not matter. They, they will not cover DeSantis in any way, shape, or form fairly, objectively, and therefore DeSantis says, to hell with you. I know I'm not going to get a fair shake. I'm not even going to bother trying the way McCain and Romney did. They thought they could be nice, therefore they'll get good coverage, and Romney was called Gordon Gecko and a racist, and McCain was called a cantankerous racist. It doesn't matter. It's all going to end the same way.
1: Yeah, and DeSantis pursued this approach in terms of his media relations strategy, Then he went out and won by 20 points. So I think that probably makes the media even angrier because he did it his way going around them, and he won a crushing victory, and they hate him so much. That has to burn. And look, I'm in favor of politicians answering questions, tough questions. I think they should be available for that sort of thing. He takes questions at press conferences and that sort of thing. But based on just the partial history that you just recited there, I think the message from DeSantis is I don't really need you. And if you want to be treated legitimately, then you need to be a lot better at your job and a lot less obvious, at least, about your flagrant political biases. I think that's a fair point. So far, so good. Working pretty well for Governor DeSantis. On another subject, there's been a bit of a stir around a member of the Biden administration getting some scrutiny, including some from the mainstream media. People on the left not really reacting favorably to any of that. Joe, we'll get your thoughts on Secretary Buttigieg, right after this on The Guy Benson Show.
0: Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show.
1: We're back. It's the happy hour. It's The Guy Benson Show. Joe Concha is here with us. As promised, let's talk about Secretary Pete. He's got this portfolio that I'm not really sure he's really particularly qualified to handle, but he's in the cabinet Smart guy, uh, good talker. He's good at sounding smooth and authoritative and sort of calming and that kind of thing. He speaks in these perfectly constructed paragraphs, and he's on podcasts and TV constantly. It seems like that's the number one job in his mind of being transportation secretary uh, when he's not away on various trips. And he's, I think, clearly still in an ongoing audition for president, which is his ultimate goal. He is taking some incoming due to a whole series of crises in that portfolio that I mentioned over the last year plus, whether it was the rail strike negotiations or the supply chain issues because of the ports at least contributing out there on the West Coast. Then you've got this the meltdown in terms of flights over the summer, and then this Christmas season with Southwest, his trip to Portugal, the private jet issue and controversy that he's been dealing with. There was a news story this week from – Fox News about that, where he was flying a private jet to and from New York from D.C., like, you know, back and forth in one day, and they're trying to defend it. I think some of the criticisms are a raw deal and unfair. I think some of them aren't directly his fault but kind of fall under his umbrella. Some of this he probably needs to take some ownership of, but right now the position seems to be indignant denials and lots of TV appearances where he— talks and talks and talks and no question he's good at that but is he good at much else i guess is the relevant question here
4: well he's a former mayor of south bend indiana the fourth largest city if you want to call it that it's the home of notre dame i've been there many times And he could not manage transportation within his own little city, right? You know, they called the Mayor Pothole because he had trouble filling the potholes, and all they had was one small regional bus station, a small regional airport. This person had no business whatsoever, just like Jennifer Granholm has no business being energy secretary. But somehow, some way, Joe Biden decided, OK, since this guy dropped out of the race and he endorsed me and allowed me to win Super Tuesday, I'll give him a job. And if they made him ambassador to Portugal, where he could take as many trips as he wants, then that would have been fine with everybody because that's not really too much of a job. But transportation secretary, that is a sprawling agency guy. As you know, a $100 billion budget, 60,000 employees. And he just doesn't seem to have a grasp on things. He's always reacting instead of being proactive. I agree with you. The Southwest thing that happened over Christmas, that's not his fault. That's the airline. as a private company. They didn't update their software with the money that they were given from the government. They had no redundancies, and that's what led to that disaster. But all the other things you mentioned, whether you're talking about rail strike, the supply chain crisis, that is really the one that sticks out because he took paternity leave for two months and didn't tell anybody. There was no backfill. And he said, "Ah, you know, I could do my job from anywhere. Only after he got caught, this tells me that this isn't somebody who's truly serious about his job. He's truly serious probably about running for president one day. But if this is what's on his resume as the number one achievement, he's going to have some real problems because you could only talk your way out of things for so long. I think he still looks like he's running for senior class president in terms of age. And again, in terms of experience, his performance as transportation secretary will be a big red blot on his presidential nomination
1: aspirations. Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, columnist at The Hill, his latest book. Come on, man. He's got another one in the works. Joe, appreciate it. Thank you.
4: Thank you, Guy. Have a good one.
1: The Guy Benson Show is back right after this.
0: You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson.
1: As we continue, it's the Guy Benson Show. It's our happy hour. Earlier in the show, in our first hour, Ari Fleischer, former White House press secretary, Fox News contributor, he was here. I wanted to get his take on the crisis comms response from Team Biden about this Biden papers controversy and the classified materials and the drip, drip, drip of even more information what does Ari make of all of it based on his own experience now looking from the outside in? An interesting conversation. Here's part of it. I think it's so interesting because you're talking about the cavalier attitude. That's exactly the word that I was thinking. The cavalier attitude, Peter sort of baiting the president to comment on the Corvette, and he makes this little side snarky comment about how the Corvette's locked in a garage and it's not like it's sitting out on the street right there with my Corvette. That was what he said On his own volition, because he couldn't help himself. Then he goes back to the script, cavalier, unserious, and literally the first scripted line that they've written for him is, people know I take classified documents seriously. (laughs) And he just spent the last sentence or two kind of making a mockery of that assertion. What a mess. (laughs)
5: What a mess. And and keep in mind, Guy, the only uh, quote-unquote facts people know about this are those that have been spun by Joe Biden's lawyers. None of us know if that's actually true, if the timeline is right, if it was turned over immediately. Nobody knows that. The only source is Biden lawyers who are, of course, spinning it Biden's way.
1: Yeah, they're going to try to put this in the best possible light, shading the truth if necessary, potentially, being very selective I mean, they've got a client to protect. They've got a presidency to protect. No one would take them at their word, or they shouldn't at least, certainly not in the press corps, even though the press corps tends to be on the team, so to speak. Uh, The fact that there was, and this is the other side of it, Ari, as well, and I promise we'll get to the Trump piece as well, but the timing, based on their timeline, this came to light before the election. And we didn't find out about it in the ensuing days. In fact, it took months For this to spill out into the open, I mean, that is an element of this that I think is going to tick off a lot of people, especially given the giant indignant hullabaloo that we saw over Trump and his classified materials flap. Well, there was one brewing on the other side of the aisle involving the sitting president of the United States days before the election, and American voters weren't told about it. I know some people say, oh, it wouldn't have had any impact in the election. Maybe, maybe not. They said the same thing about Hunter Biden's laptop, but— The fact is some stuff gets leaked, damaging to certain people. Other stuff doesn't get leaked that could be damaging to other people. And I think some folks look at that and have some cynical thoughts, and it's hard to blame them.
5: Why now? Why did it all of a sudden come out? And keep in mind, again, the source, it was a background leak from a, from a Biden person to the news. That's how this information came out. Biden's people are selecting who gets the story. But as you point out, Guy, if it happened in November, why did Biden's people all of a sudden get it out now? Mm-hmm. That's what was what's perplexing. Right. They tried to get ahead of something. But the Justice Department is not supposed to be talking to the White House about the naming of a council. They should not know it's coming. Uh, so there's a lot we don't know. Thank goodness there's a Republican House that can hold power, truth to, uh, hold, uh, truth to power accountable and ask the right questions and dig to get the truth.
1: Then you were starting to say a moment ago that you think this is a get-out-of-jail-free card for Trump. The way I've been sort of phrasing a similar sentiment is if the Justice Department – had designs of charging Trump because of classified materials and official documents, I don't see how those plans remain tenable now that not only Trump's predecessor in terms of uh, top-level person in the Obama administration, Hillary Clinton, and what she did, now sandwiched at the other end of it is the current sitting president. It seems like that bucket, those two buckets of malfeasance, bookending what Trump did, at least to my mind, kills the opportunity for a prosecution here, if that's what they were trying to do, it sounds like you probably agree.
5: I agree 100 percent, unless justice really just decides that they're going to go after Trump for obstruction of justice, if that's what they believe took place Mm -hmm. with the Mar-a-Lago documents. But the underlying case of having uh, uh, illegally obtained classified information, they'd have to just ignore it. They'd have to wipe it under the rug, because then what do they do about Biden? Mm -hmm. Look, I already said in regard to Trump that the Justice Department got its documents back and they should just call it a day. I said that a couple months ago, that at this point there's no point in trying to prosecute a former president.
1: My full interview with Ari Fleischer, longtime White House press secretary under George W. Bush and a Fox News contributor, it's available in its entirety at GuyBensonShow.com along with the full show, GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, it's the home stretch, an interesting, exciting, but ultimately disappointing evening for me last night, and then a monumental shift in the fast food landscape here in America. We will discuss with no small amount of excitement right after this.
0: For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home
1: stretch. Friday Eve on the Guy Benson Show, GuyBensonShow.com. It's our online home. Podcast is free every day. Catch me tonight on Special Report. I'm on the panel end of the hour in the next hour on Fox News Channel. Well, if you're listening on the broadcast, we just bumped in with Bye 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 by In Sync. was that, early 2000s, I want to say? Yeah, roughly at high school for me, if memory serves. I bring it up because last night I was at the Northwestern basketball game against Rutgers. Rutgers, very good. Wildcats been playing quite well in their own right. A big game. Two of the best defensive teams in the country. And it was a very physical battle. With Rutgers leading by 5 to 10 points almost the whole way, then Northwestern stormed into the lead at the very end of the game. Place was going nuts. Students were awesome. And it was the only home game I'm going to be able to attend this year. So uh, I was enjoying it. I was wearing my vintage Northwestern sweater because it was retro night at the arena. So they took the lead, and then Rutgers went on a little spurt at the tail end of the game to win it by three points. So a heartbreaker for the Cats. they got to bounce back here. But it was a fun experience. I wish we'd won. But I was, as I mentioned, decked out for this retro night experience. And they had old logos from various teams, including Northwestern and Rutgers, and then other Big Ten teams like vintage logos on the scoreboard. They even had an old mock-up of the old lightbright style scoreboard that used to hang in the arena, actually, until just a few years ago, which was kind of fun. They had the old Big Ten logo with the hidden number 11 back when there were 11 teams in the conference. It was fun. It was a fun experience aside from the very last, literally last minute of the game and how that all went down. But at one point during a TV timeout, they put on the screen that they had put up for a vote on social media which retro throwback song people wanted to listen to. And I guess the students were primarily voting on this. They were basically asking these kids, because they're all, what, like 18 through 22 now, So they were all born in the 2000s. What oldies classic do you want to hear? And the golden oldie that they chose was Bye 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 by NSYNC, which doesn't really feel like it should be an oldie yet. It doesn't have an oldie sound, but I guess that changes. The definitions fluctuate over time, and what you think is contemporary music all of a sudden isn't so much anymore. I saw a meme recently where someone's like, you know you're getting old when a song that you used to like at the club is now a song that you enjoy hearing being played at the grocery store. (laughs) Kind of that sort of effect. I would have voted, by the way, for Hungry Like the Wolf. Duran Duran, 80s. That was one of the options. To me, that's more retro than in sync. It's just me. Christine, how old is this making you feel?
2: Well, I am worried that I don't even think Hungry Like the Wolf is retro. So when yeah, I think that retro, was like, that was
1: what playing, that was a big popular song in your high school days?
2: Guy, no, I was in elementary school when that was being played. Uh, I was in college mm. when Bye 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 was being played. Um, none of this seems retro to me. And yes, If you want me to say it on air, like always, I do feel old after hearing this segment.
1: I didn't want you to say anything. I just wanted you to tell the truth. Now, we were talking (laughs) in the planning meeting for the show earlier about various songs, and we were uh, poking some fun at President Biden. You might imagine sometimes that happens on our calls. And you recommended playing a song, which is a Prince song, a pretty famous Prince song. And then I made a joke Combining that with another famous Prince song, and Quiet Wyatt, who is 22 years of age, oh. said he had no idea what we were talking about. He had not heard of either of these, I would say, mega hits. Isn't that right, Wyatt? Well, let's just correct the record. I know Bye, Bye, Bye. Like, everyone's heard that song, and— <laughs> I'm not saying you didn't know that. I'm saying you didn't know either of the Prince songs. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I know Purple Rain—
4: you know that song? Oh, but I, I do. do.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: <laughs>
4: other, than, other than that, I do not know anything else. But, but something that I will add is that the only thing I know about Prince is when he died, it was a breaking news event, and I was in high school when he died, and I announced that to my class in, in history
1: class. I was giving breaking news even in high school. So that's the only thing I know about Prince. You get off on that, Wyatt. Just like oh. I, I, got to tell, I got to tell my class that Prince died today. <laughs> Little mini Fox News alert here from War Wyatt. I love that, actually. What were the songs that you... It was uh, Raspberry Beret you'd never heard of. What was the other one?
2: Little Red Corvette.
1: Oh, yeah, Little Red Corvette, because of the Corvette comment from, from Biden. That's what it was. You've never heard of those songs? Never heard of those songs. Do we have those songs? Can we pull those songs up? Have you heard this chorus? Maybe I feel like it's
4: coming back, but like I wouldn't know. I got—I don't know by name, but I feel like I've heard that maybe like you said, in
1: like in a grocery store or something, but not <laughs> oh like. God, I mean that it's checks not... out. Do we have Raspberry Beret? Any recognition there? Absolutely not. Nothing. Wow! Wow! Okay, so it's Retro Night here on the Guy Benson Show, apparently, and Wyatt is having none of it. Now, we did tease, heading into this, some fast food-related news, and we love a fast food story here at this program. And we have pretty strong opinions on it, occasionally a hot take or two, some disagreement, obviously. So I am very excited to share with you this nugget No pun intended. Although this place doesn't have nuggets. An update involving In-N-Out Burger. Which is, for my money, probably the best regional fast food that I've had. It's out west. Although I will say Zaxby's down south, which I found out and discovered this summer, that gives In-N-Out a run for its money. But In-N-Out, delicious. I've made this clear before. It's their burgers and their shakes. The fries, garbage. Just cardboard. But the burgers are amazing. Everything's fresh. And for those of us out east, it's frustrating because you can't get it anywhere. It's all like Texas, I think, is maybe the farthest east so far. They've gone into Colorado. Of course, their home base is California. They're in Nevada, Arizona. I think other places out on the west coast, maybe Utah. In any case... In-N-Out is coming now to Tennessee. I believe this is the first time they have ever crossed the Mississippi River. And Axios reports that for fast food lovers, In-N-Out is the holy grail. Middle Tennessee will now play a prominent role in the California-based chain's ongoing expansion efforts. They're going to have a massive Eastern Territory office in Franklin, Tennessee, with restaurant locations, quote, in and around Nashville. Starting around 2026, Governor Bill Lee, a Republican, announcing this. This is the first expansion of the chain east of Texas, so I was right about that. So a lot of jobs, a lot of restaurants, and then you have to wonder if they are creating an eastern hub, like a corporate hub for in and out in Franklin, Tennessee. You'd imagine they're not just going to do that to open a very small handful of stores in that state alone. It seems like maybe in and out has finally decided— that they can keep their quality control. That's always been their issue in terms of getting quality control at a very high standard with freshness and having the hubs to get all of their products to their stores in a way where everything is guaranteed to be fresh every day. I know that they were worried about expanding too far and too much, but if they're coming to Tennessee, that might not be the last domino to fall, and I'm just hoping that one of these restaurants ends up somewhere, somewhat near me. Not too close to me, I will add, because that could be dangerous for the waistline. I might need to like, double my Peloton regimen <laughs> if there's going to be an In-N-Out nearby. But when I saw the headline, In-N-Out Expanding East, I like read everything that I could about it immediately. So maybe you've heard about this, maybe you haven't. I know some people are part of this dead-end contrarian crowd who want to pretend that in and out isn't any good. Christine is one of them, obviously, because just, frankly, she's wrong about most of these types of things, just like when it comes to personal taste. That's fine. You know, live and let live. But for the rest of us, the Holy Grail crowd, as Axios might call us, this is extremely welcome news. Now, Christine has had it, and she's underwhelmed. Why you have or have not had In-N-Out? Oh, I've had it many okay. times. It's right. very good. It's very good. Now, you're a Shake Shack guy. I think they're somewhat comparable, actually. I like In-N-Out better, but I can see why you would like both. Dan, my understanding is you have never had In-N-Out.
3: I've never had it. It's, I've heard about it, and I've heard a lot of people love it. Um, I'm more of a Shake Shack person myself or like a mcdonald's or something like that but i've never had it you can't
1: say you're more of that because you've never had it right (laughs) you you can't rank them on a scale when you haven't actually consumed their product yet is it because you've never really spent a lot of time in california or when you're out there do you just not stop it in and out like what's going on here
3: well i used to go to la a lot for my old job um i've just never i'm not much of a fast food person i I don't Ah, go very often um i would try it for sure i mean i love a good burger you said the fries aren't very good no. And it's pretty bad, hard actually. to mess up fries, though.
1: I know. I, I, I don't understand how they're so bad given how good the burgers are. Fresh, never frozen. Very, very good service. That's sort of similar, I would say, to Chick-fil-A. They pride themselves on that. I'm just – I'm into it. I'm excited about it. How about this? If they end up expanding into, let's say, New York City, I will treat the team – to in and out lunch, now we're except talking. for Christine, because she doesn't like that. Christine can can figure out her own meal. Maybe she could go get, I don't know, a nice steaming bowl of French onion soup for herself. But we'll be getting in and out burger, although my concern is, like when Chick-fil-A arrived in New York, there were lines around the block for weeks. I bet you that would happen here. So we might have to wait until the thing dies down. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Can you tell I'm excited? Ooh, just a double-double. Those grilled onions, that sauce, maybe an ice-cold Coke Zero on the rocks. No fries. Thank you very much. Even if you get them well done and put all that sauce and cheese on it, it's just not for me. Mm. Now I'm hungry. It's dinner time. But I can't eat yet because I'm up on Special Report coming up in this next hour on Fox News Channel. A lot of very interesting developments to talk about with Brett Bayer and the team. We will do so. Hope to see you there on TV. Back here for the Friday edition on the radio tomorrow. Have a great night.